Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deepen Podcast. We just uh, are launching a brand new series called Doesn't Make Sense. And I got to say two things. Number one, welcome Rebecca Maxwell back hey. to the podcast. So glad you're here with us. Thank two, you. Pastor Joby, thank you for an incredible sermon tonight. Wow. Wow. Well, the, the idea of talking about um, emotional and mental health in light of this 1010 Life was Pastor Britt's idea probably a year ago or something. And then through a series of events, we expanded it to a three-week series and, you know, and I was able to kick it yeah. off. But, man, my pleasure. I do feel like Part of the reason I invited Rebecca to be here is because, you know, I feel a little over my skis on some of these things, <clears throat> not theologically speaking, in unpacking all the texts that we went through, mm. but there's definitely like some psychological, sociological crossovers there of which I am not at all an expert. And so whatever I messed up, we were just knowing that Rebecca's going to clean it up in our podcast <laughs> here. So <laughs> thanks for being here. Uh, we, we Just a minute ago before we started this. Uh, you said when you walked out and saw some people's faces, it changed It changed everything for you. Talk about that. So we're talking about mental and emotional health, and the this weekend's title is Jesus and Your Mental Health because I ripped off Rebecca's. <laughs> that's the title of her upcoming book. So I thought that's great. Well, you know, I've been here since before day one pastoring this church, and there's some families, man, who have lost people to suicide, their children, mm. things like that. Yeah. And so... I mean, I've been working on this, you know, and and you're like working on the the order of all the verses and like, what am I going to say when? You know how it goes. You guys preach. Um, and then it hit me, man. I walked out and worship began and I see faces of people and I thought, uh-oh, this is not just mm. a um, an idea that we're sharing. There are some people in mental health crisis or they have been through some significant family trauma when it comes to this. and. Yeah. So I just hope and pray that we can pastor our people, shepherd our people well through through this very um, timely topic, too. Yes. I think it means a lot to people that attend this church to hear this topic from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Because we, we do talk about it in other ways, but hearing it from the pulpit and hearing the foundations of why a healthy mind is so important is really, really important and... I think it's going to help a lot of people to take a next step. Pastor Brett, you said recently, and then I verified through Google, Googling this, uh, that m- mental health concerns are like the surgeon, like two of the top four or five of the surgeon generals, like, hey, these are my priorities. And so at that level, there's a recognition of this as as a crisis and as an important thing to, t- uh, to talk about. So maybe Rebecca or, or whoever, wh- why do you think we're in such a crisis of mental health today? What do you think got us here? I think there's probably a lot of factors. We're disconnected. We're more and more disconnected because of our phones. And so we're isolated. I think there's generally a lack of emotional maturity as well. So we don't know what to do mm. with our feelings. Um, I think there's been 
honestly, in the church especially, I think there's been a denial over the years of mental health as part of overall health. It's It has traditionally often been seen as, as sin and instead of a, a physical, physiological issue. And um, it's all over the scripture, so we can't deny that it's there, but there's probably a myriad of reasons. I think those are the the two that come to mind, but I think the biggest one just being the connection device that we have that actually makes us disconnected. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the the four core relationships that you're created for as being an image bearer of God, you have a relationship with God, which only comes through Jesus. You have a relationship with others, which is meant to be eyeball to eyeball, face to face, arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, in different expressions of that. And when you don't have that in any meaningful way, um, and you replace you replace three D with two D, and you confuse them as though they're the same thing. When we were talking about loneliness and abundant friendships, that was the Surgeon General yeah, yeah. calls it the loneliness epidemic. Yeah. And um, the idea there is that 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 people have traded information about relationships for actual relationships, right? And so that's the dangers of technology and the impacts of it. Um, and then the you have a relationship to creation, like a dominion type to cultivate and to work. Mm-hmm. The pastor Joby just recently preached on and to produce, mm-hmm. and we live in a world where now. It's like I just want to make money online easily. Like I, I want my life to be easy, but that's not the point of cultivating and work. Is it's not supposed to be easy. You're supposed to sweat. You're supposed to produce. And when you reject that and you see that command as a burden, hmm. then things are jacked, right? And the fourth relationship, not in pr- priority, is the relationship you have to yourself. Yeah. And so it's God, others, creation or stewardship, and then yourself. Yeah. And it's my relationship to myself that I do not know what to do with. It is not that people don't have anything to do. It's that they do not know what to do with themselves. And you, you mix all this together in a really fast-paced world where we have endless access to information. Mm-hmm. And we're tempted around every corner to see sit on thrones and seats that we were never meant to sit on. You know what I mean? And and this is just a recipe for disaster. But one of the things Pastor Joby said to, tonight, which is true, which I applaud the Surgeon General for seeing this and trying to mobilize massive amounts of resources toward it. But without the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of it, I I don't see how true healing and freedom can come from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, the gospel is the thing that is. It's for, so it is identity, mm-hmm. and until that is believed, even if it's just a mustard seed of belief in that God gives me my identity, it's not something I have to forge for myself. Right. That it's I don't see how true eternal life health can grow. Separate from that, and so the, for the for the church to dive in is necessary and absolutely messy because there's just nowhere you can step in this conversation where it's not wrought with case by case, unique to each individual. Does that make it's really hard to navigate sure. it? Right. 
in a healthy way, but at the same time, we have the weapons that Pastor Joby talked about tonight. Right. So it's like God prescribed these relationships. He prescribed, described and prescribed how they're supposed to work, right. even the one I have to myself. Mm-hmm. And so, anyway, that's a long answer to a short question, but that's why we are where we are is because the relationships we're created to live in, including the one to ourself, is completely jacked. Starting with that first one, I mean, <clears throat> my first instinct when you ask is because we don't believe in God. Mm. And I mean, I don't... So I don't mean if an individual believes in God that all of a sudden their mental and emotional health is going to be right. right. But as a society, we have said, we don't, we reject you. So back us up 200 years, 250 years, and the founders of our country, even if you, if you can argue about was that person surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or not. But either way, they believed that we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable mm-hmm. rights. Mm-hmm. So... They were thinking about the relationships that you were talking about. And because we were endowed with certain inalienable rights, I'm supposed to treat you a certain way and you're supposed to treat me a certain way and we're in this thing together. And so the moment you begin to pull the the reality of believing in God out of this, then it's like you take the hub out of the center of the wheel and all the spokes just go crazy, man. Mm-hmm. So then you add to it things like technology that isolate us and you add to it the pursuit of comfort in all things. Bro, I think 100 years yeah. ago, you didn't have time to evaluate yourself and what you think about you and evaluate all your feelings as compared to everybody else's feelings because you just had to plow the field and do, you know, you were just, you got up and you had stuff to do with a group of people and you're kind of too busy and tired to think about some of these kind of things. So it is a perfect storm of a lot of these things, heart, soul, mind, and strength coming together mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you mentioned that thing that the Surgeon General said loneliness has a negative effect physiologically as smoking 15 packs a day, and you know how I love— Yeah, 15 cigarettes a day, yeah. You you know how I like to to make fun of smokers. All right, smokers, it would be better for you to smoke (laughs) with your friends. (laughs) You know, like a little—like take your smoke break and be one of those people hanging out at lunchtime smoking together if you only smoke 12 a day than it would be to be alone (laughs) and quit smoking. I mean, that's— that, well, if, let's just take that habitually and run it out. Right. Most people habitually learn to smoke in the relationships that they're in. And so mm-hmm. the chances that you're going to smoke if you grew up in a house with smokers and all the relationships around you were smokers are high. Right. Because the people that you're connected to right. on an eyeball-to-eyeball level and the environment that you're in with other humans, or you started smoking with your buddies right. in high school or in college or whatever, it was a relationship-driven thing. And then it turns into a stress relief thing. Yep. And then it turns into just a, you're a creature of habit, and now you're on, you know, your chemicals and all the stuff. Or, but hmm. it's an interesting thing to to make the analogy of because of how that one normally starts is in in through the relationships that you just find yourself in, you yeah. know. So yeah, it's a, it's it's the way a look at the way the enemy distorts things, right? So as you were saying that, I was thinking about like any like vice that you have, anything that you get addicted to, like even having drinks together becomes, you know, drinking to numb or enjoying a meal together becomes, you know, seeking out that pleasure alone. So things that God has given us to enjoy, you know, together can get really distorted really quickly. And that's what he does from the beginning. I. When you made that point earlier, Rebecca, I, 
I hadn't thought about it this way. You talked about the distance, a lot of it having to do with technology and isolating. I think I think I usually think about that as like emotionally developed people disadvantaged by distance and by the screen, right? But now what we're seeing, and this has been proven, you mentioned this, it's not emotionally developed mature people who just happen to not interact with each other. It's actually affected our ability yeah. to be emotionally mature. And you talk about young people and kids mm-hmm. who grew up and and they like I, there's there's people who say, "Yeah, I was having this conversation the other day." And then you're like, "When did you see them?" No, no, no it was a text. So right. it it, me, it means the same thing. Like, "Oh, we were talking." You were not talking. Right. It's not the same. Um but let, let's get into something else because you mentioned this uh, Pastor Joby, that, uh, and you, you just mentioned it, Pastor Britt, as well, that without Jesus at the center, how could you ever hope to find this total health and shalom? I don't think you can. But maybe this is not worth asking this question, but I think it's an interesting one. Where's the line like, between emotional or mental issues and then the work of the enemy? Is it worth trying to figure out which one's which? Or are you sort of like try to cover both your bases at all times. Does that make sense? Well, I think it goes back to like the why do bad things happen question, and uh-huh. there's a few fundamental answers, and two of those answers are a direct attack of the enemy, or it could just be collateral damage from the fall. Right. Right. So either way, the enemy is at the root of it, mm-hmm. whether it's like a specific demonic attack between your ears and he's trying to get you to believe the lie, or you just live in a fallen culture that lies to you every day and you've bought mm-hmm. into some of those. Right. Or physiologically, all the cells in your body don't obey yeah. creation's order after the curse. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't matter why. I mean, ultimately, it's it's a part of that. Mm-hmm. So somebody, to, to the point you made in the message, like to, to the person struggling... Seek it all out. Correct. Seek out the prayer. Seek out the help. Seek out the counsel. Yeah, that's why we send people to people like Rebecca, because it's not like she says, y'all handle the spiritual and I'll handle the mental. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. Right. It's all integrated, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, uh, the um, one of my favorite preachers of all time, uh, many would say this, is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And Spurgeon... Fought hard, yeah, yeah, against things like I don't know what they were called then, but things like legit diagnosable anxiety disorders, yeah. right? They morbid, were called the melancholy. Yeah, morbid depression can't get out of bed for like long, weeks and months. Yeah, mm-hmm. many, many, many years. There's a book called Spurgeon Sorrows that is yeah. just talks about this and it, that book that book and study in Spurgeon's life was very helpful to me because as I've struggled through my own it, you know challenges and opportunities for growth and mental health and really behavioral health it all kind of runs together um is knowing that there were men and women of God who loved Christ loved him loved Jesus and God used them in right. significant ways. Who has God used more on the planet than Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Single-digit people right. that have ever lived. And they had very, very dark nights of the soul. Yeah. And and it was always a comfort to me to know that and to study those things because I've had dark nights of the soul. I can't say to the level of Spurgeon or to somebody else. But for me, 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In my experience, for sure. And I'm always reminded that it's not it's not it's not just about walking in total healing, meaning I only ever feel good all the time, always. Yeah. Right. It's about when the struggles come and when mm. the whispers come, which are not necessarily the same thing, struggles and whispers. Yep. When these feelings come or my physiology responds in a way unbeknownst to me at any given time, mm. that I, I can, by God's grace, struggle well. And I can struggle with people. And I can... I'm not alone. There have been people who have walked through. You know what I'm saying? And so, for a long, because a long time, you just, especially in the pre 15 years ago, when this really started to move into like the normal conversation and culture, like there were not Christian psychiatrists 30 years ago, at least that I'd ever heard of. And and so, the more and more this has become a normative conversation in society, the more and more healthy and helpful it's become, and more and more resources are available. Um, but just knowing that you're not alone in it and that it, you can love Jesus and struggle hard and struggle well. Yes. Yeah. And, well, and uh, struggle well is not just not struggle. Right. Do, you know what I'm saying? Right. You may not get healed this side of heaven. Right. And Spurgeon did not. And Martin Luther did not. That's exactly right. A vocational hazard is when you've got a prophetic mind and a shepherd heart, watch out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, bro, when you really care about people yeah. and you have like a a mind towards the truth of God's word and a tongue that can lash it. But then you also, your heart breaks when people that you're shepherding. I'm just telling you, it's like the perfect storm for the enemy to take a really good thing that God has given you and try to corrupt it and mm-hmm. like get in there and and yeah. debilitate you. Yeah. And that's such, an, that's such an encouraging, and I would encourage anybody listening who's, who hasn't, dug into some of those historical biographies of, of great Christian leaders and thinkers. Um, Abraham Kuyper, I believe, is another For one. Sure. And uh, that takes all the air out of this preconceived notion we have that to be Christian is to never have that struggle. Or I mean, how about just, the Psalms? Exactly, yeah. Holy moly. I mean, King, King David alone. Dude, read Psalm 139. Okay, there's all this wonderful stuff about fearfully, wonderfully made. Yeah. There's all this stuff. It just sounds great. And in church, you got to quit reading at like verse 18. Because then he's like, oh, that you would slay the wicked and bash people's heads against rocks. And you're like, um, excuse me? And then he's like, search me, oh God, and know my heart. See if there be any <laughs> yes. of my thoughts. You'd be like, um, dude, mm. you need to see somebody. You, But what an honest account mm. of what a person that know, that literally mm. is called the man after God's own heart. And he's all over the place, mm-hmm. emotionally and mentally. Right. Yeah, I mean, Jesus himself cried out from the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, do you think, don't you think he knew what was going on? He did, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that the gospel does. And this is easy to say, and it is very hard to live. But what the gospel does is that it, it gives you a higher priority than yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you a higher allegiance than yourself. Yeah. And so and it, and it gives you the power by which to swear to and live to that allegiance, right? And right. And so I can I can say whether I am well or I am unwell, whether I am high or I am low, whether I am sick or whether I am healed, to Christ be the glory. That's right. 
in all things, yeah. that I want him to be glorified in the struggle as much as I do. So it's about being faithful to the glory of Christ and to the name of Christ is why when I have nothing else, I have the reality, or I feel like I have nothing else. I have the reality, Christ be glorified in the victory of the resurrection. And that's not nothing, even in the darkest night. You know well, what I'm this saying? This is where... I was careful to say when I was using the examples of how the enemy right now is using popular ideologies to tear families apart, you know what I mean? And there's a humanistic therapeutic ideology that says, really, like your your family is the root of all of your trauma, therefore avoid all your family. Mm -hmm. And, And that the avoidance of trauma is your ultimate goal in life. The gospel is a call to suffer. Like, yes. to, to be crucified with Christ is traumatic, <laughs> you know? Now, again, boundaries are a real thing. You don't put yourself in physically, mentally, emotionally unhealthy places over periods of time, nor do you put your children there, etc. Right. But if the whole goal is to avoid pain, and yet the gospel's invitation is to take up your cross, mm-hmm. one of those is going to have to win out in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, how, that's what I mean when I say... Like whatever God creates, the enemy tries to corrupt. Mm-hmm. So he takes a good is therapy good? Yeah, man. We need it, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. And then but you can you can do a a non biblical, Christless type of uh humanistic therapy that's just mm-hmm. rooted in your own comfort and lack of mm-hmm. pain. Even even a completely secular Therapists will say the way to overcome struggle is you have to face and embrace that struggle a little bit at a time. Right. Mm-hmm. It's desensitization. See, I didn't know the word. But <laughs> pretty much every college campus right now has a safe space so that you can avoid all pain and struggle. Anything that seems to be scarier, then you don't have to do it. Even the secular humanist Therapists will say that's the worst thing you can yeah, do. It cripples people. Correct. Hmm. I'm telling you, the enemy, man, he's, he's been at yeah. it a minute. Yeah. That's the chapter I'm working on now is learning to suffer. <laughs> Look at that. Dude, because best we, title of a book of all time, Jesus and Your Mental Health. <laughs> love it. Holy cannoli. Yeah, we live in this broken, fallen world, and you cannot— I see people all the time that just are trying to fix everything. This is what you're talking about tonight. I need to fix everything that's external. If my if my marriage is bringing me struggle, then I need to get rid of it. If my you know if I have some issues in my family of origin, I just need to cut them off. If this job is you know hard, then I need to leave the job. And none of those things are going to change by getting new ones. It's always going to be a struggle. So the the issues are on the inside and learning how to suffer well, you know, not feeling guilt over the dark night of the soul, but walking through it, knowing that Christ is in that with you and, and learning from what we see. There's so much in the scripture. I mean, the New Testament references the mind and our thoughts over 160 times. So it's kind of a big, deal. And you see David, I mean, he flip-flops back and forth between I'm the king of the world, right. literally, and, uh, you know, and... born in iniquity. Yeah. What's wrong with me? And mm. um, and that's the struggle of a lot of people, honestly, is mm. that back and forth, like one day I'm great and the next day I can't get out of bed. Well, I think that's the that's the beauty of the, new, of the Gospels yeah. that we so often miss and why it's so necessary to have this conversation around the Scriptures over and over and over again is... Jesus came and offered eternal life. But that's not a one-day thing. 
that that the eternal life begins at the moment of surrender, the mm-hmm. moment of salvation, mm-hmm. and that life is growing. And what he introduced into the world was a behavioral health revolution. He teaches us how to think yeah. differently, how to live differently, mm-hmm. how to love differently, how to you know how to affection, how to plan, how to pray. Everything that we do as humans anyway, mm. he teaches us how to do it the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is absolutely a behavioral health revolution is what Jesus has invited us into. And, mm. and we often don't think of it like that. We think I have my behaviors, I have my thought right. life, and I, then somewhere along here yeah, I'm a Christian. So then think of all of that in relationship to John 10. Where the good shepherd says, listen, man, I lay down my life for my sheep. Yeah. I'm the good shepherd. If you'll listen to my voice and follow my voice, it leads to abundant life. Mm. That is that is it. Part of what I was trying to pitch tonight is there's an, there's an opposing voice. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, I've been on this train for a minute. Whenever you listen to that opposing voice, it leads somewhere. And mm. where it leads is isolation, death, destruction, yeah. theft, lack. Hmm. And when we follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, it leads to abundant life. But and that doesn't mean Cadillac and cotton candy and everything's gonna be awesome. Hmm. It's and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear evil because he's with me. Mm-hmm. Like the Good Shepherd is walking with me through the struggle and through the pain. I mean, man, there was a couple there tonight. Good gracious, mm. they've lost both of their two of their children to suicide, mm-hmm. who are both in the military. I mean, golly, and they're. And man, they're worshiping with their hands up somehow too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you want to talk about a peace that transcends all understanding, and I know everything's not just everything's awesome, and they had to know coming in, and we gave the warning, and they chose. They don't even typically attend this campus, so I don't know if that had something to do with it. But dude, I love these people so much. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's in my he's one of my corner toters. Correct. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's in my close circle. Yeah. Which started right on the heels of that. Yeah. And the interesting thing in light of this conversation, especially the desensitization, I can't say the too many yeses, but desensitization, that word, (laughs) yes. Uh, They faced all the pain and all the grief head on and they, and have not stopped doing it. Like they, they, they didn't run into remote isolation away from their church or away mm. from their friends or away from the memories or away from they they stood they've stared it down face to face hard over and over over and, and over. over and over and over and over yeah. again and it's the closest thing I've ever experienced on a personal level to to a, a, a bit the biblical narrative of job mm-hmm. what this family's had to walk through yeah. emotionally right. And I'll just tell you, and they, they're probably listening, and we're not going to say their names. They, they know I love them, and I think they're okay with us sharing a little bit. I looked at him probably 18 months after. We're somewhere on a trip together. And I just said, I, I'm overcome with admiration yeah. for you. Because somehow through this, I love, I'm loving, I love Jesus more because I'm able to be your friend in the midst of this. And he was struggling hard, man. It wasn't like he's just walking around quoting Bible verses, but the dude's doing life with people and letting people do life with him. And it mattered, man. And so, it's Mm -hmm. you know, I think about, I don't think I made this up. Somebody else probably said it way smarter than me. 
but f- facing it versus running away, right. leaning into right. the, the hurt versus trying to alleviate the hurt, right. trusting people even when the pain is caused from people or the loss thereof. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah you got to go like through. The, the scripture, this goes to tell you the Bible literally knows everything. <laughs> And number six, I think, is where it's the the snake bit. Everybody gets snake bit, right? In that mm-hmm. numbers, mm-hmm. it is numbers. Numbers, and um, the the story more or less goes that everybody starts getting snake bit in the wilderness, mm-hmm. and God says, "Moses, take a snake and lift it up on a." Mm. So the thing that's killing you, you got to stare at that if yeah. you want to get healed. Mm-hmm. Fast forward it, Jesus says. Like a, like a snake lifted up in the wilderness, so will I be lifted up. Mm-hmm. He didn't actually just face our fears. He became our fears. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? And and this, he like, it wasn't just look at it and you'll be healed. It was I'm going to become the thing that's trying to kill you mm-hmm. and so that you can actually be healed. Mm-hmm. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so yeah. it's like the, the trick for the nation of Israel to be healed was you have to look at the thing. That, that's trying to, and and that's very hard to do. It's, it's easy to say it's hard to do. Yeah. Um, but to this family, like, I, I can't, I don't know how to connect all this, and I don't want to overstate it. I can't understate what a significant role people like theirs faithfulness has had in the movements of God amongst our people here at 1122 unbeknownst to each other. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I think when Jesus says things like, you're the light of the world and you're the you're salt, and like let everybody see your good works and give glory to God the Father, bro, that ain't teaching Sunday school. That's not like, oh, you were nice to somebody that was mean. It's stuff like what they are walking through, the faithfulness that they are walking through. Like when I'm, if I were to get to a place and be like, where are you, God? I could look at that family and be like, there you are. Because they are living the 23rd Psalm, and they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet it seems that they fear no evil because you're with them. Mm. I'm not saying it's... Mm. Nowhere does it say easy, mm-hmm. but they are not paralyzed by fear. They're taking one step at a time forward in the direction of the Good Shepherd because of faith. Mm. Psalm 23 is fascinating. It's like, you, you lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That feels great. Mm-hmm. Immediately, the next verse is, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death." Yep. Yeah. So, so there's some the path of righteousness for His name's sake, and the valley of shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, are like. And David knew a little about about the valley of the shadow totally. of death. It could have been the valley when he was facing down David and thought, "I'm going to die." It could have been the valley when his king was trying to kill him and he had to live in caves and almost get killed. It could be the valley when he blew up his whole life with Bathsheba. It could have been the valley where his kid raped another one of his kids. So another one of his kids killed that kid and then that kid rose up and threw him off the throne. You want to talk about a couple of valleys of the shadow of death? Yeah. Mm. And he's a man after God's own heart. And I think the reason he's a man after God's own heart is these are not public complaints in the Psalms. These are prayers. That's Mm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are different things. Totally. These are not op-eds to the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. These are, he, when he brought them all to the Lord, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Oh, that's that's what David was doing. Yeah. You talk about the craftiness of the enemy. I mean, you're, 
one of the places you were camping out was in Matthew 4 and the temptation of Jesus. And so let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you, you said this, that, that the devil attacks Jesus's identity first, that the first two temptations start with, if you're the son of God, and I heard you say, mm, at, at that point, Rebecca, so why, <laughs> why do you think, why, why is that such a big deal that he would go after that, if, it, if that's who, who you really are, what does that mean? I think that that's, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. I think that's his main tool. And in, increasingly more and more now, it feels like it's becoming easier in our society to go after identity as mm-hmm. we're, as we lose our sense of who God is, we're going to lose our sense of who we are. That's right. I tell yeah. people all the time, I don't, I don't know how to help you with this issue of identity without connecting you to your creator. Mm-hmm. He literally defined who you are. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure where we piece that together if we don't go back to the original. So the identity, when you're mm-hmm. talking about you know, the, the wheel, like that, that is the core. Mm-hmm. Everything flows out from there. Mm-hmm. And if the enemy is going to break you apart, like why would he mess around with mm-hmm. the spokes? Why wouldn't he just go directly for mm-hmm. the core and, you know, blow it up from the inside? Mm-hmm. And it's an all-out attack now on, mm-hmm. you know, on our identity to confuse it, to break it apart. And mm-hmm. it's it's really the easiest and most foundational foundational way. That is that is the thing at the core, mm-hmm. whether I'm working with a couple or a teenager, what is at the core of the, the issues that they're having is identity. Mm-hmm. Like they have put some core beliefs in their mind, either, either from their family of origin or life has put on them or they've believed about themselves mm-hmm. that are counter to what the way God sees them. Mm-hmm. I'm not enough. I'm too much. You know, mm-hmm. I'm rejected, I'm abandoned. And so everything that is going wrong that we're trying to work on seems to go back to that. Yeah, yeah. like your identity is like the filter by which you take in all of the information. So right. if you have convinced mm-hmm. yourself that you are unloved, mm-hmm. what will begin to happen is you'll hear these little comments and you'll filter them all as evidence that your core belief about you is true. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. I am unloved. She doesn't even care. She didn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, that. what really blew me away as I was trying to put this thing together is um, to say that Jesus had mental health issues is going to make all of my buddies be like, what? Be like, hold on. Look at Hebrews 2 and 4. If he was tempted in every way and suffered in temptation as we have, and that's what makes him an empathetic high priest, mm-hmm. and the devil was like, in his brain, man, be like, mm-hmm. if you are who you say you are, isn't that what that is? Mm-hmm. And he could overcome because right. he stood on the truth of the Word of God and he mm-hmm. knew who he was mm-hmm. because yeah. of the Word of God. The people in power in Jewish culture, which let's just say is a bit different yeah. than American culture. First, it was all about power structures yeah, yeah. and religion and those things were not separate. They didn't have elected officials. They had the Roman government and the and the the Jewish synagogues right. with power. That's what it was, you know. The San and so everybody in power over Jesus that both culturally culturally he was to submit to and to trust for guidance and leadership. That they all wanted to kill him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just say 
That hurts, right? I mean, he, it's not that he didn't know, so there, there's that. All of his friends, we'll die for you, bro. Mm. They all run away. Yep. Betrayed in every way. Yeah. Betrayed in every way, right? Biological f- f- father, you know? Gone. Yeah, gone, you know? Um, and so the, you just go go through, if you really think about his life, even the, the three years that we know about his living, you can just go through and just check the boxes of yeah, like... Yeah, Jesus lost a close friend to suicide. For sure. It's one of the reasons I like the He Gets Us campaign that's yeah. on TV. Yeah. That I'm like, they're on to something. And yeah. I don't know all the details of it, and but they're on to something where it's like, yeah, he does. He, he gets us. You yeah, know? we, we and, like to say, because it's true, what the scripture says, that he experienced everything that we can experience in this life. But when you really start to flesh that out and you really start to look at all of the things that he experienced, it makes it so much more impactful that he actually did experience all of the stuff that this world could put on him. And I think it's a great campaign. It helps us connect with you know the the human side of him as well, and I think it's I think it's I, I think it's the key for us finding, you know, truth and healing in this word in this word to know that he experienced the stuff we do. I got a word for everybody that's suspicious of every campaign that comes out or every Jesus movie that comes out or any revival movie. You know, why are you looking at me? <laughs> well, you just you just said you're pro. <laughs> I am pro. So yeah. you're with me on this one. There is an accuser of the brethren. He's the devil. Mm-hmm. So if you consistently find yourself accusing the brethren, you are playing for a team, but it ain't Team Jesus. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul is in prison, and he's like, yeah, here's some people who are trying to get me in more trouble by preaching. Don't worry about them. God's in control. He didn't even accuse the people that yeah, well. he knew had bad motives. He mm-hmm. believed in the sovereignty of God. So it gets on my nerves, all the people that want to throw stones at <laughs> every Christian thing that they didn't make up, mm. you know? For sure. Because it's not up to whatever. I think it's really just comparison kills, and they can't be joyful that God is blessing some other ministry, and it wasn't their idea. Mm-hmm. Or there's some kind of preference that didn't get met because they're not doing it the way that mm. person would have done it. So one of the things that I heard about identity is that it's just, it's just, it's not just that we don't know who we are, it's that we're told something false about who we are, which is kind of two different ways of saying the same thing. But sometimes I think about not having your identity being like it's a blank space, but it's not really. It's like the wrong label is there, you know, and that's what Satan is after. He's trying to put the the wrong label there. And I've always found so interesting, you you mentioned this, Pastor Joby, that when as soon as Jesus answers his temptation with a scripture— Satan goes, all right, I can use that. Yep. And he goes, comes right back and he uses scripture for the next temptation. That's right, you better know it. That's right. So that's what I wanted to ask. Like, what's the best defense against that? You said something, not everyone with a Bible verse is telling you the truth. Whew. Fact. Yeah, the KKK had all kind of Bible verses to try to. Mm. That's why you better know the word, man. That's abiding in the word mm. and tuning your ear to the voice of the good shepherd. Yeah. is key. It's like a movie. If you watch a movie and there's a guy walking up to the door and the soundtrack, the soundtrack is going to tell you if something good or bad is going to be the, on the other side of the door. Mm-hmm. If it's like, dun, 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 you know, it's going to be funny or happy or good. If it's, dun, 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 it's going to be bad. Mm. 
the voice of God in your life has a tone to it, and the tone is abundant life. Mm-hmm. Even if it's conviction, it leads to abundant life. Mm-hmm. And the tone of the voice of the enemy is death and destruction, mm-hmm. steal, kill, destroy. It's condemnation. These are very important. Yeah. That's how crafty he is. I mean, he will use a half-truth. What he, what he told, you mentioned the Adam and Eve yeah. in the garden and interaction. He was telling part, partly the truth. You will be like God knowing good and evil because they did not know good and evil the way that, that God right. did, you know? You will not surely die. That was a lie. <laughs> All the way. <laughs> and not just the content of the verses, the context. Why is the context so important? Not just pull it out. This is a Bible verse. Well, yeah, because you can you can cherry pick the the feel goods and the don't likes outside of context, mm-hmm. you know, and context matters a ton. And so it's mm-hmm. what's before it, what's after it, what's happening in it. Joby's got a great way that he helps you understand like the macro and the micro and the details and all that stuff. But I mean, I I just think that it's you can't really understand the scriptures if you don't spend the time understanding both the historical context that they were written in whom is writing like if you're reading Paul's writing can God speak through that because it's living and active yes but if you don't have a little hint of like the Apostle Paul's story and where he's at on his Mm -hmm. journey then it's really hard to put it into context mm-hmm. as to what he's actually talking about. Yeah, or you'll think and left that, to your own devices, you're just going to make up what you think he's talking about, mm-hmm. as if the Bible was written about you. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ equals touchdowns. Right, it's not what it means. So maybe that's me working it out to the answer to your question. Maybe the context matters so that you're reminded and you're right about the reality that the Bible's not written about you. Mm, it's a gift to good. you so yeah. that you can know God, but it's not written about you. Yeah. And our tendency will always be to put ourselves as the point of the scriptures, right. and that's just not the case. We we'll go back yeah. to your movie analogy. Like, if you don't know the beginning of the movie, you're going to be like, "Why is that guy beating that guy up?" You know. Well, maybe he's got good reason to, right? So, if you don't know the context, you might totally misinterpret. Yeah, remember the second time you watched The Sixth Sense? You're like, <laughs> "This is totally different." This yeah. is a ter- <laughs> this is boring, sure. right? The Sixth Sense was was a movie in the nineties, guys. <laughs> the Go- Bruce Willis in it. Google it. And my Shyamalan directed it. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Rebecca, I have a question that's directed to you. Uh, so, you talked about the battle for the mind, Pastor Joby, and I see dead people. Sorry, I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> you ruined it. You ruined it. Uh, so, have you heard Nate Bergassi talk about that? He's so, like, <laughs> even though he died in the first scene, we were more apt to believe that his wife just didn't talk to him for a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Oh, that's a funny, that's a funny bit right there. All right, back to the thing. So, sorry. Uh, so, you know, the, there's this statement out there: truth is relative, or your truth, my truth. You know, f- follow your truth, and uh, a lot of times, if you hear that, you think it's a it's a denial of objective truth. So we're not saying that that's good. But when somebody has a narrative in their mind about a thing, about who they are, about their family, that is the truth that they're living out. So help help us understand the difference between a, a false truth that somebody's living in, a false narrative, versus all truth is relative. You know what I mean? I think we use truth way too loosely mm-hmm. right now. Like we use truth to for our thoughts 
right? Mm. And we even we even say it, right? Somebody will say something, we'll be like, truth. And but there is only one truth. There's only one truth about everything that exists and mm. who we are and our place in it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure I use it way too loosely as well mm. as part of you know in our culture. But the, but the problem is there is only one, and so it's become this thing that is unique mm. to everyone. And mm. it's not really, and it's just another confusion. I think a twisting of identity Mm -hmm. and where we really need to find reality. Mm. Leaders of ideologies hijack words. Yeah. Because that's how you create new narratives and cultures. What people actually mean when they say, well, this is my truth, they mean experience and perspective. And that is right. Mm -hmm. Like, we could say that the Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And somebody come here and have a very bad experience and a very bad perspective of their experience here at 1122. Mm-hmm. And people would say, well, tell me your truth at 1122. And they go, well, here. what The right way to say that in English is, <laughs> did you experience that? And what is your perspective? And they could say, no, okay. But what they did is hijack a word. Mm-hmm. That's what ide- ideologies do. Mm-hmm. So the social justice movement hijacked the word justice. Mm-hmm. They did. And they and they redefined it to say this what this is what justice is. Mm-hmm. The Marxist movement hijacks this ideology of power differentials and tries mm-hmm. to define everything that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's you got to pay attention to it. You know who else does that? Is the tempter who tries to hijack Bible verses. Mm. And he's like, well, you know what I read? Why don't you do this? I mean, it's the same. It's, it's, mm. it's, the, it's the same tactic that the enemy's been using for a really, really long time. Mm. And so you use, I mean, very like if you would have ever heard that words like diversity and inclusivity and things like that were, were going to be mean other than just what you thought they meant. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a whole ideology around this that is trying mm-hmm. to accomplish a thing that is different than what the original words just mean. Yeah. And, and that, that ends up giving so much baggage to those words, right? And you, and you can't even use them without bringing all the rest of the baggage in. So before, um, for whatever reason, Rebecca was backstage tonight, her family was there, uh, and I was so it was great because it was like 20 minutes before it was on, and I was like, hey, let me run a couple things by you. Like I'm going to say, like one of the things I wanted to check on, if your doctor does not ask you about diet and sleep and relationships and stress and exercise, but mm-hmm. immediately prescribes pills first. You got the wrong doctor. She's like, yes, I did. You know, anyway. And so a part of what I was saying is to her, listen, every every profession has like a list of, it's got a dictionary. And if I use mm-hmm. the wrong words, a part of the reason I want you on the podcast is I need you to clean that up. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant. Because mm-hmm. I could use a word, because you know, you hear it all the time, right? Really well-meaning Christians will share, and we know what they're trying to say, but they use the wrong words, and it's heresy, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. And so I didn't want to be like a, you know, a, in, in the counseling world, use heretical language about what I was trying to say. Well, it's hard for people, man. It's hard when you start talking about the temptations of the enemy, um, the, the collateral of the fall, the realities of being living in a broken world, being born as in the image of God, but it is a shattered image, mm-hmm. and and 
the biblical truths about what sin is and isn't, it's hard not to mix all those things up and you start thinking that all feelings are sin or you start thinking that all struggles are are because I'm a sinner or, or does that make this it's mm-hmm. like equating cancer with some sin you committed in your life as though if it's always one to one and it's hard for people to really think rightly about physiological realities that it, it it is much more of a bowl of spaghetti than it is a linear one to one type because of this cause and effect, if you will, is far more intertwined, yeah. you know, and and so it's a really respectable and honorable thing to say. Help me say the right things the right way, which I think is something that we we all have to be cautious of as a church. To hear the 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 things like you're sitting in your disciple group this week and you're trying to unpack this, mm-hmm. like pray with people, pray for people, listen. But don't start diagnosing and prescribing. You know what I mean? You just don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And, and, um, you know, share your story and how God's God's done things in your life. And it's fine to say, I did this and Mm -hmm. God used it in my life. But it's not to say that that's the thing that's always going to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what you should do. Correct. Because everybody's different. And, and, um, And so I think that trying to say the right words the right way to really be helpful and healthy, most importantly, to be faithful to the scriptures, um, but to be helpful to, to, to people batters. And we should all mm. take that as an encouragement <laughs> through the course of this series because, you know, on the thing about truth, people will take, like, passionate opinion that's rooted in, con- like, true, deep, felt conviction. Yeah. And they will say it as though it's truth. They're usually pretty unhealthy people that do that, <laughs> and they're real dangerous. That's real dangerous when you take a, 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 a very passionate opinion that's rooted in a personal conviction, and then I put that on Rebecca and go, it's my opinion rooted in my conviction that's been formed through the experiences of my life. You have to think and hold as passionate and that same conviction for you as for me. That's different than this is the truth about God's character as revealed through the Bible. Mm -hmm. Those are different things. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And this is where Christians can really cut our nose off to spite our face a little bit is confusing our convicted opinion with the realities of God's character. You know what I'm saying? Uh, totally. Yeah, we like to we like to dabble in things that we don't have a lot mm-hmm. of um, maybe education or expert knowledge in. And really, like in our groups, we should be pointing people to Jesus, sharing sure. our story, pointing people to Jesus, giving them encouragement, mm-hmm. and not saying, well, th- this is exactly what I did. You should do the same thing mm-hmm. because we're all, you know, we're talking about all of the aspects of who we are. And the way you experience anxiety and why may not be the same way somebody else does. So there is not a, you know, there's not a a one way to approach it, you know, for every single person. And, but when we've, when we've been there and experienced it, we can wrongly think that we have the answer and we just need to point people to the one that, the one that does. For sure. Mm -hmm. Talking about, uh, hijacking words and knowing just enough to be dangerous. Um, and Pastor Joby, you like to make fun of, of, of these terms, but like, uh, Rebecca, what, 
So there's some people who might hear trauma or I was triggered and like you and just be very quick to use those at any kind of, at any kind of inconvenience. So how do you draw a line that says, that's not really what that means without dismissing somebody's experience or dismissing somebody's hurt? So when it relates to, to trauma, like trauma is living in a broken and fallen world. And the way that we distinguish those in our field is big T and little t traumas. We, we do all experience little t traumas. Some people experience big T ones. And so mm-hmm. we, we just know psychologically the impact of war, of losing someone very close to you, especially kind of before their time or at a young age mm-hmm. or um, experiencing sexual assault. Some of those things have, for reasons we've talked about before, they have a greater psychological, physiological impact on people. Mm-hmm. And so um, is the word trauma overused? I don't know. I do think we collectively have have trauma, but I think it is important to dis- distinguish that. I, I think mm-hmm. that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't mind using that word. I do think it's a catch-all for just the brokenness of the world and the things that mm-hmm. that happen to us in that. And again, there's not always a one-size-fits-all way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I think acknowledging it, though, and being living in the victimhood of it are, are two different things. Right. And so sometimes we like to kind of wear our trauma, but that's not really helping us out very much. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, I think it's not. I think it's important to not just deny that everything is. Tra- well, that's not really trauma. Mm-hmm. That's not really helpful either. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful to like we were just talking about, like meet people where they are, mm-hmm. point them to the truth, point them to healing, yeah. you know, and help them work through it. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Um, so there's this phrase that I think I'm into, your body keeps score. It's because we are a integrated, psychosomatic, heart, soul, mind, and strength, one person. And I think there are people that are good. Britt, I'm talking about you here. You're an intense dude, man. You're an intense dude. And, like, you just are. And it seems like over the years, when stress begins to creep into your life, you have paid attention to the physiological signs. And you've come to me. I hope I'm not airing all your laundry here. But you have come to me and said things like, I can tell I'm about to max out here, like, whatever. This difficult situation that I'm I'm trying to handle because here's some, like I can just, at my heart rate, I can feel it. I didn't sleep and that's not my normal, you know what I mean? So I don't know that I've ever paid one second of attention. I have noticed that I don't notice any of that <laughs> stuff, you know what I mean? But I think there's something to that that yeah, is, could be very, very helpful. That's the helpful. first sign. That's the first, you will feel a physiological response before you can put a word to the emotion. Like you will feel it first. And we have, and it's it's important in in healing and good mental health. And this sounds like what Pastor Britt has done is get used to what that feeling feels like. Because by the time you put the words to it, sometimes you're too almost too late, or well, you're beyond. Well, I think what's happened over the years. We've been working together for like eight, ten years. Ten yeah. years. Okay, so um, it seems like earlier and earlier with a very small group of people. Your husband's one of them. In a room, he'll be like, "Hey guys, I just need to give you a heads up." It seems like the most humble and healthy thing I've seen. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Especially from a baller, smart, get it done, tough leader. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think the uh, thank you for the kind words uh, doesn't if, – if this is airing my laundry, <laughs> next week's going to get real uncomfortable <laughs> for people. Uh, um, I got nothing to hide, man. You know, I'm, I'm under grace just like the, all, all of us. That said, I think of it like I'm driving a car down the road and something's wrong with my car, the engine, the lights start to pop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the gas is running low, the light comes on, the the oil needs to be changed, the light comes on, the engine's running hot, the light comes on. And I learned, I've learned over time, and I'm still learning, I've learned over time what these lights are in my life. And it's the, some of the things you mentioned. It's like uh, I'm not sleeping good. And sometimes it's because, like, right now i got a little bit of a head cold. And so I just know I'm going to wake up more in the middle of the night. Does that? But if I don't have that, and I normally sleep pretty good, but I'm waking up at 3.30 in the morning and my mind's racing and it's not, it's either on one issue, mm-hmm. which almost always for me comes to a conflict that's coming with a human. Yep. And I know it. I can, I just, now, five years, seven years ago, I would have, I don't know what I'd have been thinking, but I, w- I, I, haven't, I hadn't done the work to like name it, to be able to take control of the thing and to tame that emotion and to tame those fears and to start to gospel those things, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so some of it's like um, certainly sleeping, eating, I'll lose my appetite. Um, sometimes it'll come physiologically out of nowhere. And so I've had things like panic attacks and stuff like that. Not a ton, but I've had enough of it to know I want to do everything I can to not do that. <laughs> and um, when that when that happens, it's like your plate's full, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere something you weren't planning on ha- hits your life. And it could be very small, but everything that's on your plate that you've been just like doing everything you can to keep that plate up because it's full, something hits and the whole plate just falls over, like physiologically. And then at that point, you're out. You don't have control anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you're just mm-hmm. your body takes over to protect itself. And and um, and when that happens, it's like I mean that's happened to me in the bathroom, bro. Like I'll, I'll get a text message that's pointed. Or that I wasn't expecting with bad news, and then all of a sudden I just go into this like place where I almost don't have any control other than just to sit down and to breathe and to like wait it out. But if and when I get there, it means I did not catch the trigger, the the lights on the dashboard to get before that. Mm-hmm. So having get gotten there a few times, you think, okay, I got to back up here, mm-hmm. and. And so I, I, it's just, but honestly, here's the thing. I'm, I'll be honest, like my experience with people and over the last five to seven years of working through a lot of this stuff and continuing to work on it, work is the word. If you are not willing to put in the work, you will not be healthy in this way. Yeah. You will not, Some people are just freaking unicorns. Forgive my French. They've had no major life traumas that took root. They either didn't have them right. or they didn't grab them. For whatever reason, by God's grace. Well, it's very similar to like being physically healthy. There are some people, Rusty Pritchett, one of our elders, that dude. Just yoked. He's he's (laughs) 60-something, and he is ripped. He's in such good shape. And he does work out for sure. He eats ice cream. He eats a bowl of ice cream every night of his life. He can't gain weight. And he can't gain weight. 
Most people smell ice cream <laughs> and it just goes to their back pocket. Okay, so there's like a mental health. They're just some people, man, yeah. and they're just wired in such a way. And and they they even the people who will go to a counselor, mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of counselors that I know say that most people don't make it past the first session. Oh, I didn't know that. That the, the people like, it's hard, yeah, or if AA or even these group type things, mm. because it's hard. It's hard, yeah. Because you have to. The, what you're actually afraid of mostly is facing yourself, yeah. yes, and your own demons. And at some point, you've got to face yourself if you want to get healthy. And um, mm. and so it is. It is work. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Mm. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness, mm-hmm. including the fortitude and the perseverance to do the work, mm-hmm. to pursue what it truly means to love him with our mind, you know. That's why I pointed you just out. You got to stay at it. <laughs> yeah. The, the then in Matthew 4 is right after the baptism of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it would be way better if your flesh, the world, and the devil would schedule these mm-hmm. attacks. Sure. <laughs> but he never does. And pay close attention coming off a high holy moment, man. Yeah. Like these mountaintop experiences, you know, are often, man, the, mm-hmm. the enemy's right on the heels of that. Because, gotcha. you know, you can kind of let your guard down and yep. just mm-hmm. think we're cruising. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there there are unicorn, mental health unicorns. There are. But even more than the mental health unicorns are the ones that can be a unicorn for a while. But we do hit a point where... We are. We can get overloaded, right. and so sometimes, not dealing with the stuff of our life catches up with us eventually, and so everybody's got to do some sort of work on peering inside, staring down the fear, the lack of control, you know, the things that seep out onto our families, and because of, eventually it will catch up with us, mm. and it's kind of like a panic attack, like. You're probably better to work on it before a major crisis. You know, I mean, reading like a book by Tommy Nelson, he ends up in the hospital, Mm -hmm. and many others. Pete Scazzaro, same one. Like they, you know, they end up in really bad places before they have to kind of stare this stuff Mm -hmm. down and and do the work. So my Mm -hmm. encouragement is to everybody: is don't wait that long. Mm -hmm. Like dig in Mm -hmm. and and you know see what your tendencies are emotionally, and then walk those back and figure out. Where that comes from and what work you need to do. You're yeah. right because the the statement you started with, which is the body keeps score, mm-hmm. is it's it's so right. It, or it's, a lot of people say the 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 body remembers. Yeah, and it it just does, you know. And it's gonna it, it may not catch up with everybody in the same way every time, but it will catch up to you. And at some point, undealt with, untamed emotions that are from grief, that are from trauma, that are from unhealthy patterns of thinking because of those things or just because of environment, whatever the reason. Eventually, those things will be a lid. At best, they'll be a lid on your life, on your leadership, on your relationships. At worst, they will take you out. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so to lift the lids and to not get cut off at the knees, Mm -hmm. it's worth the work. And Calvin says, John Calvin said, no God, know yourself. No God, period. Mm -hmm. Know yourself, period. No God, know God to know yourself and know yourself to know that you're not God. Mm. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so there's no way to a right whole relationship with God except for through yourself. You've got to like, I mean, obviously faith in Jesus, but you got to work through all the things that have happened in your life and are happening. Yeah, you're all you've got. This what you you got what you got. All right, we're running close to the time here, but I wanted to ask this question uh, because Pastor Joby, you mentioned uh, that when when we come to Christ, our heart has changed, but our mind is still the same old mind. And so, let's let's close with talking a little bit. How is this process of of renewing the mind and growing in health? How's it different for somebody who's new to faith versus somebody who's been at it a while? Um, if you've been at it a while and have really been uh, discipled or you're an apprentice in the way of Jesus, that you're in community with people older than you that are helping you, hopefully you've got a lot more time of not being conformed to the pattern of this world. The way you renew something, like if you're going to renew the paint on your car, you can't just paint over your car. If you did that a bunch of times, it'll all flake off. You got to take off the old before you put mm. on the new. That's the mm. so put off and put on. The that's scripture it. Talks about that a couple yeah. different places. Uh-huh. Yeah, a bunch of times, right? Yeah, yeah. Take off rage and anger and all these things, malice, and put on love and grace. It's the same illustration that Paul's talking about in Romans twelve. You got to identify the lies of the world take those out of your life, quit believing those things, mm-hmm. and then replace them with the truth, renew your mind with the truth mm-hmm. of the Word of God. Yeah, And so it's a constant, ongoing process because there's some things. I mean, the real teacher is the Holy Spirit, and he, does not, he doesn't like overwhelm us with all the possible knowledge of <laughs> conforming and transforming all at one time. Mm-hmm. How would we even know where to start? But it's His grace, a little at a time. He takes a hammer and a chisel, with the Spirit and the Word and just chisels away the things that aren't like Jesus. It is an ongoing work of taking off the old and putting on the new. Mm-hmm. An ongoing work. It never it never stops. It's a progressive sanctification right. until we mm-hmm. go to be with the Lord. And then in the twinkling of an eye, man, we'll mm-hmm. be glorified. Yeah. And it takes time, right, Rebecca? I mean, like the process of rewiring some of those patterns and you're thinking, I mean, that takes a significant amount of time. Yeah, and there's there's so much new research out now about what it takes to rewire your brain. Uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf is a great one to look at in terms of neuroplasticity and rewiring your brain and kind of cycles of tw- three cycles of 21 days in terms of, you know, really kind of implanting truth into your mind and rewiring. You know, our 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 brain is this circuit of wires and and it's going to go on the most well-worn path. So if you've told yourself some some half-truth or untruth mm-hmm. about who you are, it's like a dog running along a fence. He he wears a he wears a, a divot there mm-hmm. in the in the grass and in the dirt, and that's kind of how our brain is. And so our those those you know, neurotransmitters in our brain want to transmit messages in the easiest pathway, the most well-worn pathway. Mm -hmm. So it does take some time to rewire that, to think differently about Mm -hmm. yourself, about about things. And so that's one thing science can give us is some real knowledge about doing Mm -hmm. that. But I think it takes a lifetime to to really untangle all of of the lies that the world has put on us Mm -hmm. and but yeah. it can be done, and that's what science shows us: is that God has made us 
in such a way that we can renew our mind, that mm. we can rewire our brains. And a lot of that is done in the context of community mm -hmm. as we have other people coming alongside us saying out loud, you know, mm -hmm. the truth of God's word. Mm. And that's the beauty of how he created us. That's why I'm a big fan of just the old school quiet time, man. First thing in the morning, the first thing you do is you get up and you get your Bible and that's just where you go with the first time of your day. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just sets things. I mean, the world is going to come after you all yeah. day with lies. Please start with the transcendent Word of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need it more than you need your coffee. I'm telling you, man, you need it. Like, it, it does that thing. And it's a head start. Mm -hmm. And I would even, if you're not a morning person, there's still something, but this is totally my preference, And I'm, but... I find that when I do my quiet time at the end of the day, it's a big apology. That's all it is. Like, oh, God, sorry about that. And when I do it in the morning, there's like hope. There's like, all right, here we go. Another chance. I mean, but for real, it, it is. It's not so much like looking over my day and seeing where I didn't line up. It's way more of like directions for where I'm going. These are very different things. Yeah. There's way more power in that word than in any words that we've shared. Here, yes, and they, even though they are fueled from that, mm -hmm. all the way, uh, yeah. there's just a lot of power there, and getting yeah. it in anywhere you can, in any way you can, starting your days, yeah, no doubt. And regardless of what stage anybody's at, I mean, I forget who said it, but God checks off the sanctification boxes in different order, yeah. Bruce, Bruce, Frank. Frank, Bruce Frank, you know, <laughs> and so we're all work in progress, right? Amen. And I think, I think this is going to be a great, a great series, and. Uh, and my prayer is what you said, Pastor Joby, that, uh, that the Lord really do something special to unlock. Yeah. Some, some, like some chains would fall off. Some people would experience real transformation. And Rebecca, I'd just say thanks to you for your, your contribution to this series, which more to come. And I'm excited um, about it. That's your awesome. ministry's partnership with our 1122, I mean, it's all the same, really. Yeah. But yeah. You, you're making disciples. Yeah. All day, every day, in yeah. some of the treacherous waters. I hope so. You know, I'm just so, so thankful for the leadership that really encourages people in this way mm -hmm. uh, because so many people need it, and mm -hmm. and traditionally the church hasn't talked about it. Mm -hmm. So to be at a church where I don't I don't have to say, oh, we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Is it's a joy, and so it's um, yeah. But there's a lot of churches that don't have a trusted partner to send people to. Quite <laughs> that's honestly, right. you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding because yeah, right. it's just going to be like this humanistic therapy that's all rooted in mm. the wrong things, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I talk about. I feel like I talked about you a lot lately, especially. But <laughs> I mean, when we talk about like family corner toters, the Maxwells to the Martins, that's what they we mm. are, you know. So we're we've been in this thing for a long time. Amen. You mentioned um, that Tommy Nelson book. I was looking at, I was trying to look at the title. I don't know if you have show notes. I've always wanted to say that. We'll put it in the show <laughs> notes. But we need to point people to that book. Tommy Nelson is a dude, man. He's one of the... I got it. He's... he. Do you know the name of the book? How to Walk on Water When You Feel Like You're Drowning. Oh. Something like that. How to Walk on Water When You Feel Like You're Drowning. This is a dude. He's discipled mm -hmm. more young men. He's at Denton Bible Church in Texas. Yeah. Almost everything I know from the Song of Solomon was a teaching series that he did, and everybody in college in the 90s had that set of tapes that was a Christian. I'm actually going to write, ask him to write a forward for an upcoming book whenever I do the Song of Solomon. But he, to all the tough men, they're like, I don't need to deal with this stuff because I'm tough. You ain't tougher than Tommy Nelson. Right. College football. I mean, he's right. a dude. Pastor of a big old church. 
and and he was not taking care of himself. Like he worked out, but he slept very little. Mm-hmm. He worked way too much, and he was not. He would say just emotionally in touch, and then one day he couldn't function. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like talk, walk, get up, and finds himself in the hospital. And this is a gospel preacher, mm. and so. Um, it, it's a it's a must, especially for men that think they're tough hmm. and ain't got time for this. Yeah. You should you should take a listen, a hmm. listen or a read to it. I'll oh. do my best. We'll, I'll do my best. Maybe Rebecca and I can do this together to try to compile a list of resources that would be worth. That'd be a great idea. Yeah. There's resources through the website. Reading. Reading. If you go to the, for yeah. this series, the, there there's are. a special yeah. list of resources, mm-hmm. and we can continue That's to update great. that. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thanks again, Rebecca. Pastor Joby, why don't you close us in prayer unless you have any other no, let's pray. final words. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. And uh, it's because you love us. So, Lord, would you, by the power of the blood of Jesus and the indwelling spirit of God, help us believe that we are beloved. Because hmm. if we'll believe that and know who we are, then we'll think right thoughts about us, which will help us feel appropriately, depending on the circumstances that we're in, Mm. which will help us act more like your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. (laughs) The end. You nailed it. (laughs) 